Amen. <laughs> it's kind of funny, uh, dealing with this, this time that we're in with the, the COVID-19 and everything that's going on, it, it seems to me, and I've said this for a long time, out here in East Texas, things just come a little bit later than they do in other situations. And it seems, I, in fact, up until this week, I could still say that I did not personally know anyone who had tested positive for COVID-19. It was always someone who knew someone who knew someone. There were several degrees of separation. Uh, but I went to my uh, 20th reunion via Zoom uh, this week. And, uh, and one of my former classmates uh, was the first person that I had known. But again, she lives in you know, Irving or somewhere over in the Metroplex. And, um, and so it was still like, well, I do personally know someone, but they're still far away. And then I got the text last night, and it's like, all right, it's here. I've been in the same room with someone who's tested positive at this point. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those times where it's a, a bit unnerving and it, when we can get kind of uh, upset over things like that. And I understand all that tension and I'm wrestling with it too. And um, the good news is that when it's all said and done, this is going to be a small thing in the eyes of God. It can loom very large for us for a time, but God has it under control. It didn't surprise him. It was, it was no shock to him. Everything is under his control. And we're going to talk about that today, specifically the fact that everything is in Christ's hands because God has given him that authority. As you know, we've been working through the Apostles' Creed, and today we're on the phrase or the statement that says, He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so we're going to talk about that particular phrase today. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to open to Acts chapter 1, uh, this is where we, we see the ascension of Christ. In Acts chapter 1, it, this is like part 2 of the book of Luke. And so if you were to read through the gospel of the book of Luke and, and read his testimony, it gets to the end, you could just flip over to the book of Acts and here it continues in the same story because it's the same author and he was writing with the same intention to the same audience. And so as he is chronicling the life of Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross, he's buried, he raises again from the grave and he visits his disciples and then Chapter 1 of the book of Acts, it says that he has several other things that he says to his disciples. They say, is now the time? Are you establishing the kingdom that we've been waiting for? Is this the moment that we've all been anticipating? And he says, it's not for you to know. This is God's plan. What's for you is to go and do what I've told you to do. And in fact, he sends them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. But that's a sermon coming in a couple of weeks. But what happens in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, it says this. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So we have this, this account with many eyewitnesses that saw Jesus 
ascend into heaven. Now, I remember even as a young child thinking, so where is heaven exactly? Like, how, how do we get there? You know, is it, is it a place that you can chart? Is it a place that you can, you can get to? And, and, and so it's interesting because if he ascended into heaven, it's like, well, where did he go? And, and, you know, as time has gone on, we've studied more and more about going somewhere above the earth. And we have, since that time, of course, we have sent people to orbit around the earth and sent people to go to, you know, the moon and, and walk upon it. We have sent, you know, rovers and, and other robots to other places where we have landed on these other things. Where exactly is heaven? And the answer is that I don't think it's a place that you and I can visit until we're changed. You see, Jesus, whenever he rose from the grave, he, at one point, Mary clung to him. He said, wait, don't, don't cling to me because I haven't been glorified yet. And, and he, he kind of gently asked her to let go. But we, what happens now is Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven. And he goes, and I believe he receives a glorified body, and he is in a spiritual place. It is not a physical place that we could go to. It is a spiritual place that he has gone to. And the, the imagery of him rising above them is, is not so much indicative of a location to point towards. It is indicative of the fact that it is above you and I. It is above our existence where Jesus has gone. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Paul, as he writes the, the letter to the church at Ephesus, um, he has several prayers that he shares with them, but this is one of his prayers for them. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us, us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so we see here that it's, it says that Christ is seated at his right hand. Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heavenly places. And so there's a little bit of mystery there. What does that look like? You know, artists through the years have you know, tried to render heaven in, in really fanciful ways. You know, they put angel wings on people and, and they give them little golden harps to play while they sit upon clouds. All right, maybe that's just Bugs Bunny, but there's all kinds of, uh, of ways that people have tried to depict what does heaven look like? What's it going to be like whenever we're there? And, and I think that we, we try to imagine it as best we can, but it's beyond the scope of our imagination. It is something better and greater and higher than anything that we can imagine. But what's significant about it is all that he says in this, as, as Jesus was lifted up, he's, he's alluding to this fact that he is in a position of authority. 
where he says, all rule and authority, power, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. He put all things in subjection under his feet. In other words, Jesus has been raised to a point that there is nothing above him. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and everything has been given into his hand to rule and be in authority over. In Philippians chapter 2, it explains this a little bit more. In, in verse 8 of Philippians 2, it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is, of course, Jesus. He says, For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has been exalted to a place of authority over everything. Now listen, just because someone has been given really mean that everyone recognizes it. Right? You ever worked with somebody that got the promotion and all of a sudden it seemed like they weren't so much your friend anymore? It's not so much fun, right? Whenever they finally feel like they've got, maybe this was just an experience that I had, but it's like all of a sudden, oh, you're department head. Good, we can work together to get some. No, it was now my ideas weren't as important as the ones we used to share together. And, and, and it's, it's a funny thing that whenever people get into those authority positions and we know kind of the dirt behind them, we kind of don't feel like they deserve to be there. And, and, and we don't necessarily respect their authority. And whenever they give us instruction, we say, well, I remember whenever, you know, and this happens a lot of times in, in schools. I can speak to that one because that's the one I have experience with. But, you know, some baseball coach becomes the principal and you're like, you're telling me to do lesson plans? Really? Right? I got some nods from some teachers in the back. All right? You know, there's some things that about that where you're, you, you say, well, you really don't have that kind of authority. So just because someone has been given authority doesn't necessarily mean that we acknowledge it. And I believe there's a lot of people today that do not acknowledge Christ's authority. And they live as if he is not in control. They live as if he is not Lord of Lords. As if he is not the King of all kings. They think that he is distant or he is far or that he is a myth or a legend. They don't think that Jesus really has the authority that he has. The reality is he does. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we live like it or not, whether we give him the due respect and honor he deserves or not, he is Lord of all. And this passage of scripture in Philippians says that Every knee will bow. It says in verse 11, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The reality is there is a day of reckoning coming. There is a day where everyone will stand before God the Father and we will give an account of our life. We're going to get to that sermon in a couple weeks too. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. We will give an account, and on that day, everyone will have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of Lords. Jesus has been exalted to a place 
of authority. When he ascended on high, God seated him at his right hand, and he is in a position of great authority over everything. In Hebrews chapter 14, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says this to the church. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. All right, so he's, he's drawing on this idea, this concept of a high priest. And, and just so that we're all on the same page here, the high priest was the one, the one person who was permitted to go into the Holy of Holies, which was the place where God's presence dwelled. They, they were permitted to go into the Holy of Holies only once per year into the very presence of God. And they were permitted to lay a sacrifice before him, to, to sprinkle blood on the altar inside the Holy of Holies. And as a, as a representative of all the people, they went and offered a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. And what he's saying is this, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one who has passed through this life and he is now in the Holy of Holies. He is now in the very presence of God. And the blood that he sprinkled on the altar before God was his own, pure and spotless. He was a perfect sacrifice. And as he's there before the Father and he has sprinkled his blood, we have confidence to hold on to this confession. And he goes on, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus has been exalted to a place of great authority. And because he's there and because he knows us and he knows our frame, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our, our tendency towards sin, he knows how easily we can fall. He offers grace and compassion to us so that we can have access to God the Father. Jesus is seated at his right hand and he invites us to come before him. He invites us to come and offer our sacrifice to him, to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice so that he could use us for his glory and his kingdom. Jesus himself is there as an, as an intermediate for us, as one who is an advocate before the Father for us, who will plead our case and say, no, this one is mine. This one, sins have been covered. And they belong to me. And when we have access to the God of the universe, when we have access to our Father in heaven, we have access to everything we could possibly need. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this to the church. He says, but God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see the language here? He says, as Christ was raised from the dead and, and, and then 
entered into the heavenly places and he was seated at the right hand of God. He says, so has it happened for you. You were dead in your sins. Your sins made you a slave to your lusts, to your desires, to your physical flesh. You were a slave and you were dead in your sins, but Christ has made you alive. Raised you up from the dead as he was raised from the dead. And he has given us a seat next to him in glory. He says this, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them listen God saved us it wasn't ourselves we haven't done anything to deserve God's goodness or grace or mercy there's nothing we could possibly do to make up for the fact that we are impure it is only the blood of Christ That washes away our sins. It's only the blood of Christ that is a substitute for our own penalty of sin. And it was a gift of God given to us. He took us from being dead in our sins and made us alive with Christ. So what that means to us is this. That that we should live as if we've been raised from the dead. We should live as if we have been changed fundamentally. At the very core of who we are, our desires should change. Our hopes should change. Our ambitions should change. We should be modeled more and more and more into the image of Christ. The more we walk through this life, we need to realize we were created not just so that we could serve ourselves, not just so that we could make sure that we, our eternal security is taken care of. But so that we can live for this kingdom. He says, we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. What we acknowledge as, as his followers, that we acknowledge as his children, is that he saved us with a purpose. Not just so that we could receive grace and mercy and love and hope and and all that stuff, just receive, receive, receive. No, He fills us up with all that stuff so that we can be a distribution center. So that we can send it out where it needs to go. So that when our brother is grieving, we can offer the love and hope and mercy that we have found in Christ. When our sister is sick, we can care for them as best we know how. So that when we see a need in this world around us, we exercise the same love and compassion that our Savior exercised towards us. We're created for good works. And the reality is, Because Jesus is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God the Father in a place of all authority and he's created us for work for his good works to be accomplished. All we need to do is come boldly before the throne and say, I need help to meet this need. 
God, this is, this is your desire. This is your heart towards people. And I want to be there to help. Show me how I can do that. Give me the resources I need. Give me the, the, the words that I need to say. Father, give me what you want me to have so that I can be your ambassador in this situation. We have access to all authority through Christ. Because he was raised, because he ascended into heaven, because he is seated at the right hand of God, and he invites us to come before him with confidence, with boldness. Then we go and we ask, God, how can I be your masterpiece? How can I be the workmanship you designed me to be? How can I serve you? And all resources, all authority, all of our needs are taken care of in Christ. We don't have to solve it ourselves. Because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you have invited us to come before you. It's not just that you allow it from time to time, but Lord, you invite us to come and to make our requests known to you. Jesus, you said, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come and find rest. Jesus, I pray that we would acknowledge the fact that you are in control. That everything is in your hands. That at the very word that you speak, anything can be accomplished. That there is nothing that can withhold your desires. And help us to come boldly before your throne. And to make our requests known to you. Lord, as we desire to, to fulfill your kingdom's your kingdom standards, your kingdom's values, as we desire to live out what it means to be kingdom citizens, pray that we would come boldly before your throne and ask for everything that we need, that we might see your great work be accomplished among us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming as a servant, for humbling yourself and dying a terrible death on the cross for us. Thank you that you invite us into that grace and mercy that you offered, not by works that we do, but simply by receiving your grace through faith. And for those of us who have received that grace, I pray that we would be motivated, that we would be ambitious for the kingdom, that we would look for opportunities to apply kingdom values to the world around us, that we would look for those opportunities to share your goodness, that we would truly be your workmanship, that you created for good works. Works that you prepared beforehand. 
And Lord, I pray. As we look at problems ahead of us, as we look at challenges, as we look at needs around us, and we feel overwhelmed as if it's too big for us. Father, I pray that we would come boldly before your throne and make our requests known to you. Jesus, thank you for being Lord of Lords. Thank you that we can know with confidence that there is nothing outside of your command. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just encourage you to respond to the Lord as he leads you. If there's something that God has laid on your heart as a need that needs to happen, something that needs to be met, and it feels too big for you, Let me encourage you first to share it with friends. Because as you talk about it with other people, God can kind of start to shape the direction that this is going. And as that takes place, and you begin to get more perspective and more direction of where it's headed, then it may be that you still need to share it with larger groups so that together we can bring together resources abilities, experiences, so that together we can be the body of Christ. Christ is head over it all, but he calls on us to be parts of the body, to accomplish his will for his glory. So just trust the Lord. Trust him and appeal to him on his throne. Let's worship.